Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X5 gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. If you thought you had to travel far to savor the Pad Thai of Bangkok or to taste the pastries of Paris, take another look. With two times total points at grocery stores, your same kitchen can come with more cuisines. Sapphire Preferred from Chase. Make more of what's yours. Valid up to $1,000 in purchases per month from November 1st, 2020 to April 30th, 2021. Account subject to credit approval. Card issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Bonus episode brought to you by the fine folks at Wondery and the Los Angeles Times, and sponsored by the thrilling new podcast, Room 20. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. But more on all that here in a little bit. Tonight, I have a collection of creepy calls, carefully curated, explicitly, for your consumption. So to kick off tonight's bonus content, a ghostly tale from a state I spent a lot of time in as a child. The following is Antonio's call from the state of Wyoming. Hey Derek, it's me Antonio again uh, from Springfield, Oregon. Um, I did call in to tell a story about a time where I lived in uh, Wyoming. I believe Addie's out that way. But I'm from uh, Douglas, Wyoming originally. This story takes place at our little townhouse where you know like you have a house and there's a house right next door. I used to work night calls, so I would be on call from, I don't know, we'd say like 11 o'clock at night to about 8, 9 in the morning sometimes. just depends on how severe the call would be. But uh, my wife would used to ask me all the time if I could close the closet door because it would it'd get her a little worried. She felt unsafe or just give her like the heebie-jeebies, as she would say, if the door opened. So I would close the closet door if I got a call and I got finished getting dressed and I'd leave it, I'd close it. 
just to get, put her mind at ease, you know. And uh, I guess it was a couple of days after her and I had talked about it. It was just me and my son. I had a week off. And uh, so she was at work, and my son and I decided to go to the, uh, the covered bridge there, like a little uh, natural bridge there in Wyoming. So we were getting ready to go hike out that way, so a little hang out. And uh, my son, he's sitting, like, my back is towards the opening of the door. He's sitting in front of me on the bed, and I'm putting his shoes on him. And uh, he makes this weird head move, motion, like, you know, like when a dog moves his head like it doesn't understand. He just kind of leaned over, and I looked behind me, and I'm like, what's up, buddy? And he goes, you didn't see him? And I was like, see who? And he goes, the gray man. And I'm all, the gray man? He goes, yeah. And I'm all, don't mess around with that. It's not funny. And he goes, no, daddy, seriously, there's a gray man behind you. And he had his hands over his eyes. And I'm like, what do you mean he had his hands over his eyes? He goes, yeah. He had his hands over his eyes like he couldn't see and I'm like, he couldn't see? Like, no, like, Daddy, like, he had no eyes. And I'm like, he has no eyes? He goes, yeah. He goes, he moves his hands in their, their holes, but there's no eyes in his head, Daddy. And I was like, that's okay. You know, I was thinking, that's kind of really scary, but all right. And he goes, yeah, Daddy. When he see him a lot. When he comes from yours and Mommy's room, I'm all, me and Mommy's room, where does he go when he goes and comes and goes from Mommy and Daddy's room? He goes, he hides in the closet. The closet's his home. He's like, the closet's his home. He goes, yeah, the closet's his home. He likes it in the closet. But the closet at our at our house, or our shared, um, called duplex, the only entrance to the attic is through our bedroom in that closet. And I, my wife used to tell me all the time how she just felt uneasy in there, like she was always, that she wasn't alone, like someone was always standing in there with her. And so she'd always ask me to close it. And when I was home and she was going in and out of it, she didn't spend a lot of time in that closet. She was always in and out really fast. She never hung out there or took the time to get dressed in the closet. There were even times where she'd get everything she needed out of it, close the door, and she'd just get dressed in the room. And she would, she yeah, she avoided that closet. So that's my story. Um, do you have any know anybody who might have an answer to that or something like that? I don't know, but. That was definitely one of the cheapest things we've had. So uh, I have some more. I'll call back. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Antonio. Is it possible that Antonio's son simply heard his parents talking about the closet and his mother's fear of it, and using his vivid imagination, assigned some sort of character to live there? In this instance, a quote-unquote gray man. Now, I remember a few conversations that my parents had while I was very young, specifically dealing with the paranormal. And I can tell you with utmost certainty, it certainly sent my imagination into overdrive. So if you're looking for a bit of peace of mind, Antonio, perhaps that's a little something to hold on to. Otherwise, I think it goes without saying that it seems children have an uncanny ability to speak with someone or something. It simply isn't there. Thank you again, Antonio, for sharing your story. For our next call, we head to the East Coast. The following is Kate's UFO tale from New York. Hi, Derek. I've been listening for a really long time, but I've never called in. 
My name is Kate. I'm from upstate New York. I'm calling in regards to a UFO story. So basically my story, back when I was in college, I went to college in the middle of the Adirondacks of upstate New York. We had a whole group of friends going out. We had this, our, our campus was like on a lake with some wooded areas. So a whole bunch of us, like kind of us went out to the lookout point to the lake in the woods to hang out at night. And I will say we were a little high maybe, but I mean, 10 of us saw this. So unless we all just happened to hallucinate the same thing, I think it's kind of weird. It all started because we were sitting, standing in a circle, and I look up, and between the trees, I could see this light. So I kind of went out more towards the lake so I could get a better view of the sky without being blocked by the treetops. And I started to see this line of three orbs just side by side, and they were pretty large, and they were just kind of floating there. And I was watching... And I was like, what the heck is that? So I got my friends to turn and look, too, and they were all very puzzled, um, especially when the lights started going in and out. So basically, from, like, left to right, they would go out one by one and then go back on one by one, kind of like a flow almost. And we just kept watching and watching they just kind of stood there for a while and after about maybe a few minutes we then noticed there were two more pairs of smaller lights in threes that were hovering around the larger three lights um, and they did the same thing and they stayed in the same location for it had to have been at least 10 minutes that we were watching these things and we're just so puzzled and they just didn't move and the little ones, the lights, once they went through um, turning off almost, they just never came back on. Um, we all kind of freaked out, um, you know, started screaming things about like aliens and whatnot, but um, you know, nothing else really came of it. The only thing I will add that, I mean, could have been a factor, because I've never really been, like, noticed these things before, but the same night there was a meteor shower, but I thought if there's, like, meteor showers, it would just be quick little, like, shooting star type thing, not floating for more or less. Um, and these were very, I'm, I should say, these, these things were, like, super far off in the distance, like, over towards the tops of the mountains, not in the mountains, but hovering above the mountains. Um, so, I mean, that was just a really weird thing that happened. And I do have lots of other stories that I have been able to call in and share about. Um, not alien stories, but... Um,
Thank you, Kate. This kind of makes me wonder if what you saw might have been military flares. Now, this could explain the action of the lights. Military flares are designed to light up and fall at a very slow rate. A launching craft could also help explain the additional lights you saw. Perhaps that's the helicopter or plane that the actual flares were deployed from. And the description of the flares actually fizzling out and not coming back also seems to coincide with symptoms of a military flare sighting. Now this makes me wonder if there is a military installment somewhere near Katie's college. And it also makes me wonder if you're going to test something like that. Why would you do it in populated New York State? Thank you again, Katie, for taking the time to share. Now, our next submission of the evening comes to us from an anonymous source. Here is that call. Hello, Derek. I would give you my name. However, I'm a growing content creator on mainly Twitch, and I'd prefer to keep my personal info to a minimum. Uh, Swatting has become the new thing for people that watch streamers nowadays. I've been listening to the podcast for some time now, and I absolutely love it. I've formulated a few opinions on some topics that have been covered on the podcast, and uh, I would also love to tell a story I have for you guys. First of all, I have a very logical opinion that I have come up with on my own. Uh, Maybe this can explain a majority of Bigfoot sightings. So, at work one day when I was listening to your podcast, I came up with an idea that what if a Gigantopithecus, or better known as a Bigfoot, was actually walking around on Earth as a spiritual manifest. So basically, the Gigantopithecus ghost. Um, if this would be true... It could also explain the Loch Ness Monster, the pterodactyl sightings, and I believe some reported spottings of a bronchiosaurus in Asia, uh, which are all descendants of the dinosaur age. So now that my opinion is out of the way, I will tell you a very interesting story I have of many that have formulated in the past. I am going to give a disclaimer that this story gets very graphic. It's unlike anything you've had on the channel, so please be prepared. Uh, The origins of this story took place in a small town called Mansfield, PA, or Pennsylvania, uh, on a creek called Mill Creek. So, basically, one night my parents were only in their 30s, late 20s. Uh, They decided to have a party, and by the end of the party, we decided after everyone left to go camping down by the creek. Uh, Considering it just turned summer vacation, and at the time, we didn't have much to do the next day, so... Mom and Dad pulled a camper down to the creek, and I dragged my tent down. By nightfall, we all decided to call it a day and climb into bed until morning. Um, I fell asleep very fast, as I thoroughly enjoy the sound of the creek running and the peepers that were chirping all around me. Uh, I must have only been asleep for three hours or so. Um, I fell into a deep sleep and started dreaming about a little girl who was running through the woods, uh, more of like a joyful manner. However, the woods was very dark in my dream, as I remembered. Mind you, I was only around 13 at the time, and all of a sudden, I shot up screaming in horror, and apparently, according to my mother, I ripped a hole in the side of my tent trying to get out. 
Uh, my mother and my father came storming out of the camper and took me inside. After that, I fallen asleep in the camper and nothing happened after that night. So, fast forward a couple of weeks and I'm at my grandma, my gremlins, my grandmother's house with my mom as she is dropping me off to stay. I overhear my mom telling my gram that she spoke with a guy that lived down at the same spot we went camping. That's a very old dude. He told my mom that he saw in a newspaper back in the early 60s and 70s. Um, this is very graphic and it still kind of gives me shivers to this day. Uh, apparently a father took his three daughters down to the same creek that we were camping at and he brutally murdered all of them. Uh, he reportedly had a 12-year-old daughter, 7-year-old, and um, like a newborn infant. Uh, it was reported that he beat the 7-year-old's head in with a rock. Uh, I guess he wrapped the infant up in barbed wire or something like that. And uh, all of this was after he drowned the oldest in the creek. So, yeah, that's, that's my crazy story. Uh, I have to tell, so I hope you enjoy it, and until next time, Twitch channel is jfrog137, I do a large variety of content. I'm a, ver I'm a variety channel at the moment. Anyways, thank you once again, and uh, peace out. Thank you, Caller. It's strange, I've actually been reminded of the Bigfoot ghost theory several times over the past couple weeks. I don't know if it's making its rounds on Facebook or perhaps there was a new documentary or something mentioned it, but it seems to have popped up a lot in the last couple of weeks. Now, at first glance, this theory may seem a bit ridiculous, but is it any more ridiculous than the thought of a 400-pound, 8-foot-tall, hairy creature roaming the forest? Thank you again, caller, for sharing your call. Now I have a few more outstanding calls to share with you guys this evening. But first, we need to discuss the reason we're here all together. Imagine this. What if no one knew who you were? And you lost the ability to tell them. And for over 15 years, you sat in a hospital bed in a nursing home in San Diego, California. The result of a disastrous car crash. Just lying there unable to be identified. In this case, the man was known to physicians as 66 Garage, a name derived from a sign hung over his hospital bed. In Room 20, a brand new podcast from LA Times Studios, investigative journalist Joanne Ferrion takes us through her two-year journey to figure out who this mystery man really is. Throughout her search for answers, she even begins to question her own beliefs of the meaning of identity, consciousness, and even life itself. Who is 66 Garage? And why was he in the desert that fateful day? Is he actually unconscious? In this six-part series, you'll join Joanne as she uncovers old newspaper articles with false details about the accident, and she travels across international borders and puts together the pieces of this elusive and fascinating puzzle. What you're about to hear is a short preview of Room 20. And while you're listening, go subscribe to Room 20 on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Or find the link in tonight's show notes. 
What if no one knew who you were and you had lost the ability to tell them, to tell your own story? Could you give me your name? What is your name? What is your name? Imagine not being able to answer that question. There's a man who's been lying in a hospital bed in San Diego for 15 years, unconscious and unidentified. Here's his story the way I first heard it. He's driving a van through the California desert. It's hot and the windows are rolled down. A car comes up fast behind him, the border patrol. So he speeds up. And then suddenly, a crash. And he's thrown from the van. When paramedics arrive, they search his pockets. All they find are a Mexican phone card and a few pesos. Nothing with his name on it. The man doesn't regain consciousness. He spends a year in a hospital on life support. When there's no hope he'll recover, he's transferred to a nursing home in San Diego. The nursing home staff guesses he's around 40 years old, but his face looks young. Big brown eyes and round cheeks. They call him by the name on the hospital bracelet he's wearing. 66 Garage. 66, the number spelled out. Garage as in the place you take your car. For the next 15 years, that's how he'll be known a 66 garage. When I first start visiting garage in 2015, the staff at the nursing home tells me his name came from the place his van was towed after the crash, a place called 66 Garage. Like most of the story I first hear about him, this isn't true. To find out what really happened, I'll have to travel across the U.S. and to Mexico and Canada. I'll track down documents no one thought existed and find witnesses who were in the desert that morning. I remember hearing the, the cars crashing because you could hear it from my bedroom. It was early in the morning. He was face up because uh, I remember he, was, there was, he had a reaction when I got hit. The guy that was laying there was not unconscious. Eventually, Garage will be identified. But that's not where this story ends. Learning Garage's name, that's the easy part. The tough part will be figuring out why he was left lying in that bed, unidentified, for so long, and whether the person inside Garage still exists. My name is Joanne Farian, and I'm an investigative reporter. This is Room 20, a new podcast from the LA Times Studios. I first heard about 66 Garage back in 2014 while I was working on a story about people kept alive on life support, sometimes for decades. We had nothing in common, Garage and I. He was born in a place so foreign to the Canadian prairie where I grew up. His life was unfamiliar in every way. And yet Garage would set me off on a new path. One Monday morning, about a year after I first meet Garage, I quit my job and leave behind a newsroom where I've worked for nearly a decade. I'm going to solve a mystery. I'm going to find out who 66 Garage really is. Hey, Terry, Ed Kirkpatrick, how are you today? That's Ed Kirkpatrick. He runs the nursing home where 66 Garage lives. We're in his cramped office, and he's on the phone with Garage's doctor. On Garage 66, he's yours, right? Ed's got a thick southern accent. 
He's a big man in his early 60s, the kind of guy who sneaks a late afternoon smoke every now and then. One of the reporters who did that first uh, story on him uh, from KPBS um, wants to come and spend a few hours just sort of observing what his day is like. And he asks the I'm people who take care of Garage, his doctor and his social worker, whether it's okay for me to spend time in Garage's room. When I first met Ed, I was working on a series of stories about the thousands of people in California kept alive on life support. Many of them are in a vegetative state, meaning they're so brain damaged they're not aware of their surroundings or even themselves. The majority of these patients do not have awareness of their environment and they are totally dependent, and so it's a very debilitating situation for someone to, to be in. They live in special nursing home units. Doctors sometimes call these places vent farms, after the ventilators that keep their patients breathing. People on life support are attached to two tubes, a feeding tube in the stomach and a tracheostomy tube in the throat. You'll hear on the news the, the car accident that happened and two people were critically injured and sent to the trauma center and they're now in critical care on life support and, and that's it. We don't ask what comes next, Ed says, or we think those people either died or recovered or went home to their families. And you may not ever understand or know that you know, three or four years from now, that person is in a vegetative state that uh, they never recovered from. Ed says when he first started working at the nursing home, he remembers making his rounds and coming upon room 20 and a resident named 66 Garage. And I turned to one of the assistant managers and said, what's this all about? And she told me, you know, this guy's been here 15 some years, and he's an unknown. I sort of said, you know, who gave him that name? He was remarkably in good condition, relatively young-looking man, and um, but he was um, bedridden and thin, but, but he had uh, bright eyes. I was wrapping up my earlier reporting when Ed told me about Garage. He said Garage was in a vegetative state, and so the first time I see him, I treat Garage as though he's an object, as though he isn't a man at all. I don't make eye contact. I don't smile. I don't do any of the things we do when we first meet someone. Then one day, I'm standing over Garage, trying to see whether he looks like another man in a photo, someone who'd gone missing. When suddenly, Garage smiles at me. Here's a man who is supposed to be so brain damaged that he's lost his ability to think or feel, but he smiles. I'd done the research. Being in a vegetative state is different from what we see in the movies, where people lie peacefully, eyes closed in a hospital bed. In real life, people in a vegetative state can suddenly sit upright in their beds, spontaneously move their arms and legs. They frown, they laugh, they cry, they smile. These can all be reflexes, not real emotions. But when Garage smiles, I become convinced he's still in there. 
that was just a preview of Room 20. To hear the rest of the story and find out who 66 Garage is, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. It sounds very interesting and downright terrifying, if I'm being honest. Just something creepy about, you know, losing your identity. Now, Room 20 comes from the fine folks at Wondery. You may remember them from such podcasts as Dr. Death, The Shrink Next Door, and Blackwood. So you know, this is going to be a quality show. So again, if Room 20 sounds like something you'd like to tune into, check out the show notes for tonight's episode, or follow the links described in the promo. And on that note, I have two additional stories to share with you this evening. The first of which is simply titled, Triangle UFO. Here is that call. Hello there. I've been binging your podcast ever since I found it about a month ago. I initially did not want to report my sighting as I'm a student in the science field and didn't want to seem nuts. But after listening to so many generously shared stories and inspired me to submit my own. So here goes. I live in Texas, and I was about 17 when this event occurred. I was on a date with a guy I had recently met, and we both did not have cars. So we had taken an Uber to my area, and we met up at a fast food joint named Whataburger. We got a bite to eat, and then went on to continue our date, walking through some neighborhoods to a local park. On our way there, I was looking up to the sky because I liked to stargaze, and it was a really clear night. An object in the sky caught my eye as it was drifting across the sky incredibly slowly, like a cloud on a not-so-windy day. I don't remember exactly the color of it because it's been six years since then, but I believe that it was either silver or dark metal colored. It was a large triangle-shaped craft with three circles on each corner and one circle in the middle. I believe the circles to have been lights, but I don't know for sure because there were no lights illuminated on the craft as it slowly drifted in the sky. It was completely silent, had no lights while flying at night, drifted too slow to have been a plane, and was too large to be a drone. My date, who we will call Josh, saw I was staring at this thing so hard that he stopped talking and started looking at, at it too to see what it was that I was looking at. All I said was, are you seeing this too? And he responded, yes. As we both stared at it, puzzled, we did not say much as it was so disturbing, we did not know what to say. I don't think I've ever been so scared in my life. I reached for my phone to record it, but just like that, when I reached for my phone and tried to focus my camera on it, I couldn't see it through my phone camera. I looked back up with my eyes to see where it went and it was gone. That whole night I could not stop talking about what I'd seen. When I finally went home, I couldn't sleep because of how unsafe it felt in my bed. It felt almost as if I was Copernicus when he first discovered that Earth was not the center of the universe. It was a sense of dread and mourning of my small-minded thinking that humans could be alone. The next day, when I returned to school, I told my counselor and she laughed and told me it was probably secret military planes. It could have been, but upon further research, I still don't know what I saw. The only explanations I've found were TR-3Bs, or UFOs. Please help me understand this better. This is not the only strange thing I've seen in the sky, but it sure was the clearest thing I've seen. 
I'm not extremely skeptical that it could have just been human activity. Thank you, Collar, for sharing your story. I certainly can't tell you what it is you saw that night, but I can tell you that you're not alone in feeling insignificant after your sighting. I've heard many witnesses describe a feeling of feeling small or insignificant after a UFO sighting. And in addition, anyone that's listened to this show long enough can verify this. The triangle UFO phenomenon is certainly uh, not something that's little known. There's a lot of people out there that have witnessed things that fit the description of these triangle UFOs. So at least you're not alone in those two factors. Thank you again for taking the time to share. And that brings us to our final call of the evening. And I left this one a bit of a grab bag on purpose. It's been sitting there in my folder for quite a while. I know I've listened to it once, but it was likely at least a year ago. So I simply can't remember the details of the call. But based on the title alone, this should be a good one. The following is Michael's call about the Slender Man. Hey Derek, this is Michael from Eugene, Oregon. Um, I'm calling about something that happened to me probably two years ago. Um, it was probably early February of 2017. Um, I used to have really bad insomnia, so I'd go on late night walks and just sort of meander around. Uh, one night I was walking around and listening to, to music pretty loud, and I hear this kind of like laugh sort of thing. Um, it, it wasn't the music that I was listening to. It was something very different. Um, and I kind of look up and I look around and I don't see anything. So I just sort of shrug it off and keep wandering around. It's probably like three in the morning, uh, clear night. And as I'm walking, um, I hear the sound again and I look up and a couple streets down standing underneath a, uh, a street light is just this tall figure um i couldn't really make out any details at that point i just looked up and saw a seven foot tall or so um humanoid figure um i shrug it off turn around start walking the other way uh, as i'm going i keep looking down at my phone and looking back up and i see it again um going the other way only closer this time it's probably just one street down um and then so you know i'm getting sort of concerned about it but nothing too crazy sorry i'm trying to collect my wits here a little bit i i I keep walking sort of go the other way and start heading more towards my house and i get a notification on my phone again so i look down look back up and this thing's probably 10 feet in front of me at this point, I can I can make out a lot more details. It's, uh, it's again probably about seven feet tall, um, wearing like a a three piece suit almost and like a fedora, but it's looking down. And as like I stop there, I, my shoes kind of scuffle a little bit, and this thing looks up, and it's kind of like its its face is just completely blank. It just doesn't have any eyes or a nose or anything like that it just has this gigantic smile um and that made me just absolutely lose it so i turn around and i 
I take off back towards my house and I'm running at this point and I run probably uh, 15 blocks or so and I, I run up the stairs because I'm on the second story and get inside, slam the door, turn the deadbolt and the door lock and all that and walk back around the corner into my room and I had the porch light on so the porch light was illuminating the the window and my blinds were closed so I walk back into my room and just in the center of my window is a humanoid shadow and that just made me absolutely lose my mind I, I go out of, of my room and close the door there and then uh, just like go and sit on the couch and I'm trying to be as quiet as possible so I don't draw any more attention to myself as it were and I just after probably about 30 minutes I get the courage back up and I walk back into my room and there's there's nothing out there so I'm like all right well maybe I just imagined it you know sort of saw something my eyes were playing tricks on me I don't know but when I so I go back to, I go to sleep and when I wake up in the morning I go and I, I check the door and both of the locks are undone, just both the deadbolt and the, the door lock. So I was I was by myself at my house that night. Uh, my roommate was out of town. So I don't really know what possibly could have done that. Um, it was just something really creepy that I didn't like too much. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my story. Uh, hope you can use it for the podcast. I, I'm loving the show. I'm a fairly new listener. Working my way back through. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. I see that I am the one that labeled it Slender Man and not Michael. I notice he was careful not to use those words in his description. And that's for good reason, because I think a lot of people know by now, but... The Slender Man is admittedly a created character by a man that goes by a pen name, Victor Surge. He was created in a series of photos that I believe took first place in a photo contest for creating creepy monsters. Now as far as what Michael saw, there are actually several sightings that have been submitted over the years that coincide with what he's described. My first thought is the gigantic grasshopper believe that was Bonnie, season four perhaps, and we've had other large uh, white creatures described. But the strange thing about this is that it doesn't seem to fit any of those descriptions, especially with the grin that Michael was careful to include. I suppose the only logical explanation I can think of for this particular encounter would be some sort of elaborate hoax, or perhaps a street prank. And that may sound far-fetched, but I've seen some internet videos where people have done just that. They dressed up as a monster or alien, then stood on a corner at 3 or 4 in the morning, waited to see what happened. I suppose that is an elaborate hoax, but I do know that Eugene is a college town. So there's a lot of kids there with a lot of time on their hands. Thank you again, Michael, for sharing your story. And a big thank you to Wandry and the LA Times for sponsoring this bonus episode. And a big thank you to you for tuning in. Now this Thursday, the first Hometown Legends episode launches. 
so keep your ears open for that. And if you can't wait till Thursday, I recently posted a deep dive with Mirrored Men witness Ray from Chicago on the Patreon page. A $4 monthly pledge gets you access to that episode and at least 19 more. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Warren Pon Abbott, Addie Lloyd, and Tony Bell. The creepy music you're listening to was provided by Koak. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To start the ignition. To feel confident. To be connected to everything. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle. But it becomes a dynamic experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open. But the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.